0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you have those Bibles ready, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions just to think about. Who's the first Christian you ever knew? The first person, without having to ask them, you had a sense that there was something about the way they lived their lives that was significant. And then if I ask you the question, who do you think the first Christian uh, in the entire New Testament was? Now, I don't know that I can... Prove my point, but that question poses for me a series of definitions. And we could debate the definitions today what is a Christian? Uh, what does that mean? When are you a Christian? But truthfully, if we could just take the concept of Christianity and say that it is someone who places their life, belief, and faith in Jesus Christ, whose life is changed by who Jesus is, if we define that, then I could nominate someone for you today. As we begin our Christmas series, for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1. And I'd like to at least nominate for our discussion that I believe the first New Testament Christian, a person who placed their belief in Jesus and gave their faith in obedience to who he was, may have been his mother Mary. Now, in our world today, theologically, there are a lot of people that I think uh, elevate Mary to a position that I'm very biblically uncomfortable with, but I will defend that I think Mary's an amazing young lady, instrumental in the development of our faith, someone who God chose and called out and who entered into obedient faith and made an extreme difference in this world. Now, there's questions about what we know about Mary. We, we believe by definition she was probably a 13 or 14-year-old, uneducated, poor girl from a very inconsequential hometown She didn't have a great pedigree. Uh, Girls were not educated the same way boys were in that culture, and so Mary doesn't have a uh, a theology degree. But what we're going to read about her today, she's an amazing young lady. Not sinless, not perfect, but amazing and faithful. All the way back in the Old Testament, from the time of the Old Testament prophets, they were prophesying and proclaiming that there would be this Messiah, this ruler king who would come and set everything back together that had been devastated by sin. They didn't know when or who, but they knew something would happen. And Mary has an encounter with an angel that declares it's begun. And her response is why I don't want to argue forever about it, but I would nominate if she's not the first, she's in the top two because she placed her faith in a promise And then she placed her faith in delivering Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, if you want to look in your Bibles with me. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said, and then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby uh, left in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary said,
1: Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And now... Every generation will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones, and he has brought down princes from their thrones to exalt the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children, forever.
0: The Christmas story as revealed to Mary by the angel is the gospel story in an episode. The gospel for us is confusing because it's a term that we use about preaching, but it's really one message. It's a message that God sent his son to die for our sins so that we might live for him and experience the return of all that God has ever wanted us to have. And you find it throughout the, entire, the entirety of the New Testament. The gospel is told over and over and over. Mary sang it. Prophets proclaimed it. Peter preached it. Paul wrote about it. Yet in the midst of all of this, it's Mary's song that seems to me to be the first New Testament proclamation of faith in Jesus because she has faith in God. Mary made a choice. And what I want to do is I want to show you just this morning, very, very briefly, I want to take you to why I think Mary is someone whose story, her episode with the gospel can be a challenge for all of us, an opportunity of faith and a response. So I want to tell you what I learned about Mary from this song that she sang called the Magnificant. It's it's a Latin word. It's it's a profession, a song of praise to God. It's It's the gospel message being responded to. First thing I want to teach you about Mary is that the gospel requires an undivided accepting heart. Very simply, an undivided and accepting heart. The challenge to Mary, and the reason that I gave you a little bit of the demographic background of Mary is you have to understand that if you paint her to be this real solemnly wise woman who in her late uh, teens or early 20s, I don't think the Bible leads us to that. We don't know her age, but she's very young. The word virgin in and of itself would have related to a very young girl and one who had never been with a man. That term has dual purposes. Some people want to suggest today in scholarship, and it's troubling to me, they want to suggest that maybe she was just young and the virgin part had nothing to do with her sexuality. But in that culture, for a young girl to violate her sexuality before she was married, she would have been stoned to death. I think when they call her a virgin, they mean both applications of the term. Young, inexperienced, never been with a man. And she's challenged, yet the first... The first line of her song, she proclaims, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Of all the women in all the world that God could have chosen to bring Jesus into play, to bring him into life, to introduce him to our world, he chooses this uneducated, very young, poor girl. And he asks her, would you open your heart to me? Would you trust me? Would you allow me to use your life. And she cries out, my soul and my spirit rejoice. Now, notice what she doesn't say. She doesn't say her mind agrees. She doesn't say this will be easy. You probably hear this every year at Christmas time. but for Mary to accept the gift of Jesus as an unmarried young girl, she would have been labeled, and she was by references said to Jesus later in the Gospels. She would always be that girl, that loose girl, That that girl that cheated, that girl that's immoral, that girl that's unethical. She would always be labeled unfairly for her trust in God. So when I tell you that you need an undivided and accepting heart, I want to show you the journey that Mary went on to be able to proclaim those opening words. That she gives her soul and her spirit to rejoice in God, not in herself. I think there's nothing more dangerous than to set a standardized scale of how a person comes to Christ. Because the moment you do that, we begin to measure where we are on the scale. For some in this room, you came into the knowledge of who God was, and the Spirit convicted you, and some of you had a momentary, incredibly powerful, life-altering exchange with God, and you stepped into a brand new path that have never looked back. And then there's the rest of us, who it's taken decades, church, are you with me? That we take two steps in the right direction and two in the opposite. And we spend all of our time running in a circle, trying to follow God, but the world's enticing. And and our journey with God is no less real, but it's not standardized. And we can't look at Mary's story and say, this is how we do things. But I can tell you this. Mary cries out, my soul and my spirit. What she's saying is, God, I know who you are and you're doing something. And I believe when you get to that moment, the journey's begun. When we realize it's not what we do, but it's what God does, the journey of faith begins. And Mary goes through three typical stages that all of us have experienced in some form. If you want to follow Christ, this is what it normally looks like for us. It's not standardized, but it's really common. The first is doubt. Mary begins with doubt, and that's why when Mary has been proclaimed, and I mean no disrespect, but when they proclaim Mary as sinless, that's not biblical. When they say that she was perpetually a virgin, that's not biblical. If Jesus had half-brothers, Mary wasn't a virgin. I mean, it's just simple biology. But in this case, Mary was a phenomenal young lady. She has doubts. First, in verse 34, she says to him, How will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a fair question, church. Would you agree? God says, I'm going to make you pregnant. She says, I've never been with a man. Lord, I'm, I'm not... I'm not impure. And she's saying to God, euphemistically, she's saying to God, what you're saying is impossible. And then she remembered who said it. And the challenge for all of us is let me pose it this way. I got a gig a lot of first hour and I didn't mean to. I'll try it again. If God can make a virgin pregnant, what can't He do for you? Because every one of us has a moment where the law of God, the commands of God, and the promises of God are presented to us, and our response is impossible. If I tell the truth right here, I'm in trouble, and and I'm going to lose my job, and there's no one's going to protect me, and if I don't do this, and I don't do this, or if I do this, and I do this, it's all going to fall apart. And God looked at a virgin, and he said, I'll take care of that. Do you trust me? If God can make a virgin pregnant, what can't he do for you? Doubt. You see, he looks at this young 14-year-old, poor, probably illiterate young lady, and he says, who are you talking to? And all of us will encounter doubt. It's going to happen because here's the truth. Doubt is not a bad thing because doubt is what propels us into faith. Every one of us in this room, or I don't believe you'd be here on a Sunday morning, every one of us in this room believes there is a God, believes that historically there was a Jesus, and believes that there are right and wrongs. And so we say we believe. But belief isn't what God's after. Faith is what God's after. And faith is when your belief meets a doubt and you go forward anyway. So Mary cries out to God, it's impossible that I can be pregnant. And then she enters into what I call confused submission. Confused submission. This is when she doesn't understand all that God's doing, but she knows who's doing it. The reason her soul and spirit can cry out is because she has confidence in the one who's speaking to her. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, I don't know, God, what you're going to do. The angel says that you're going to make me pregnant and I'm going to trust that that's what you're going to do and I don't understand what this all means but I know that if it's you, I'll trust. She doesn't say to the angel, oh, I get it. What she says to the angel is, God gets me. I'll give myself to God even when it doesn't all make sense. And that's where you go from belief to faith. Because belief is God can make a virgin pregnant. And we all sit here today and go, well, I believe God could do that. What if he asked you to do it? Would you believe the same way? And all of us men in the room smile and go, hey, I don't have to worry about it. What if he said to you, you'd be pregnant tomorrow? And you're like, well, he wouldn't do that. Really? Ask Mary about the wouldn't do. I heard a comedian say recently, every man could give birth. They're as tough as women, but no man would give birth a second time. And I say, amen. That's where you women are just better creatures. But if God challenged and said to any one of us, I'm going to do this. And we say, it's impossible. The laws of science and facts and evidence say no. And God says, will you open yourself to me? That's what Mary has, confused submission. She doesn't understand all the answers. She doesn't even know all the questions. She's a 14-year-old, uneducated young lady who's looking at her God and saying, but if you say so, it's the first step of faith. And then thirdly, she falls into faith-filled acceptance. Faith-filled acceptance. Those three words are very important to me. It wasn't just go along to get along. She risked so much. She risked her relationship with Joseph. She had no idea how Joseph would respond to the fact that she was pregnant. Would Joseph believe it's God? She could believe, but what if Joseph didn't? What would her parents do? What if the the elders of her city had grabbed her out of the city and stoned her outside the city gates? All of this was a risk. God did not tell her that night with the angel how he would do this. He simply said, do you trust me? And her answer was, be it done to me as you've said. But then she enters into, Elizabeth is interesting, in verses 43 and 44, she goes to Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, he's a priest. They find out that they're going to have what we would know him as John the Baptizer. And he would be the one that would prophesy about Jesus and, and make the way right for Jesus to enter into the world in which he entered. And Elizabeth said, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, the reason I bring this moment of Elizabeth, the significance of this moment of Elizabeth for me, so that you're aware, comes to this. It's Elizabeth's profession of faith in God that helps Mary cross over. There are many of us that think that just by living a good life, people may find Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, that's not a biblical understanding of what it means to proclaim Christ. If you think just being good, moral, and ethical is what leads people to Jesus, you've misunderstood. At one point, we must proclaim Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. Not just because we don't cheat on our taxes and we drive the speed limit and we're generous. We have to proclaim Him. With our words and with our actions, Jesus must be lifted up. And He will draw all men unto Himself. And Elizabeth said, not only was she blessed that she was having a child in her old age, but she says, How lucky am I to be near the woman who's carrying the Son of God? She believed. You think Mary didn't have doubts when she pulled up at her cousin's house and said, I'm pregnant? Her sister or her cousin could look at her and go, Oh, you're one of those. But instead, Elizabeth goes, I know this is of the Lord because the Spirit just told me it was. And her encouragement of faith and belief caused Mary to take one more step of trust. And Mary cries out in verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me, holy is his name. I want you to know that Mary's proclamation of God is is not based on her doubts are all gone. It's not based that she had all the information. It's based on who God is. So she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. My savior. See the point I want to make is when she calls God her savior. This is not a sinless woman. Her son died for her sins too. And she proclaims that this child I'll carry will save me from my sins and the world's. The second thing that I notice and I'll just be brief on this because I want to introduce it to you and we'll talk about it in the next 2 weeks is wonder is found in the heart of faith. If the Christmas story has become ho-hum, you know it. You know, it's Linus on the Peanuts comic strip. It's just, you know, it's the thing we always talk about every December. If there's no wonder in the incarnation of Jesus, then I need to pray for us, including myself. Because where there is faith, there is still belief that the incarnation is happening. That the Spirit is moving and life is happening in Christ. Mary sings the song, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. You see, Christianity is not just about what God does for us, it's what God does with us. Church, did you catch that? Christianity is not just that you're saved from your sins. It's how he uses your gifts, your abilities, your time, your treasure, and your talents to change the world. If Mary says no and doesn't deliver Jesus, we are the most pitiful people to ever have lived. But because this young, illiterate girl risked her comfort for the kingdom of all ages, you and I are blessed. It wasn't what God did for her, it's what God did with her that makes this Christianity, real. I read a story, and I'd like to close with it. I read a story about a preacher who had a little travel alarm clock, one of those you snap open and set up kind of a little tripod, and, and it had a, a tiny little alarm on it, but he, he used it every day, and he carried it with him when he spoke and traveled, but he used it at home because it didn't wake his wife up. It woke him up, but not his wife. So he thought being a good husband, he'll just use that alarm clock rather than the fancy one they had in the bedroom. And then one day he had taken it out and he had used it in, another, in one of the family rooms of their house. He used it there because he was going to take a nap on the couch and he didn't want to oversleep, so he set his alarm. That night when he went to bed, he went back to find the alarm and he couldn't find it. And he was really frustrated because he said he knew he'd had it in that room with him, but he didn't remember the last time he saw it, but it was in there and it should be in there. And he turned the whole room upside down and he couldn't find it. And he was extremely frustrated because that's where it was. And he says, if I would have found it in the family room that I went to... He said, there would have been no wonder because I knew where I'd put it, but he couldn't find it, and he was frustrated because he didn't want to set the old alarm. He wanted his alarm clock, and he wanted to know where it was, and then he said, a couple hours later, walking through the house, he heard a sound. A Familiar sound, but he, he looked, and he thought, there it is, and he went on a hunt. And he went going room through room until it started to get louder and louder as he came closer and closer. And he went into their dining room, and he heard it in the corner, and he looked, he couldn't see it, but there were a box of Legos. And he started digging through the Legos, and at the bottom of it was the alarm clock. One of his younger sons had probably grabbed it and was playing with it and just threw it in their toys, or, and he found it. And he said he walked in, and he set the alarm clock down, still still beeping away. And he set it down in front of his wife, who was reading in the other room. And they both had a big laugh. And he said they both looked at each other and shook their heads like, go figure, there was wonder. And then this preacher draws this whole illustration together beautifully. He says, the wonder came from this truth. If the alarm hadn't found us, we in a million years never would have found the alarm. The alarm had to speak so it could be found and mary was the one who trusted god enough to bring that child into this earth so he could speak words of truth hope and love and you and i are changed amen it's that god we worship it's that god we serve because we never would have found god in a million years if god hadn't come to find us this morning let's stand together and sing about him